just take a seat just for a moment. I'm just going to read for you some godly wisdom. Come and join me, Pastor Nick, if you will. And um, what we're going to do is we've been doing a message series called The Search. And um, what we want to say to you is that you can search for many things... But God has the answer for all of our searching. And Pastor Nick's going to preach about wisdom. But what we thought that we would do is that we would just speak over you some wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2 reads like this. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding if indeed you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure then you will understand the fear of the Lord if you search for it like hidden treasure For the Lord gives wisdom. Can everybody say amen to that? Amen. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right, just, and and fair every good path for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant for your soul discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you listen to this wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men from men whose words are perverse, who've left straight paths and walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong, rejoice in perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and whose devious, who have devious ways. Wisdom will save you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman and her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God, Surely her house leads to death and a path to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her or return or attain the paths of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and be blameless and will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and... The unfaithful will be torn from it. Today, Pastor Nick's going to be sharing on our search for wisdom. But we just thought we wanted to read over you some wisdom from the scriptures. Thank you, Pastor Nick. Let's welcome Pastor Nick as he comes. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Can everyone hear me okay? Great stuff. Uh, Yeah, we're continuing in our summer series uh, today uh, with a message called The Search for Wisdom. And it's all about getting God's help uh, to make big decisions, big life decisions. 
Uh, we all make decisions through life, and some of, our, some of those decisions have far-reaching impact and consequences. And sometimes it's, it's kind of, we, we can kind of think to ourselves, wouldn't it be great to just sit with God in an armchair, in a room, and say, God, what do you think about this decision that I'm about to take? And it'd be great for God to go, yeah, that's brilliant, or no, don't do that. And really what I want to do today is I want to be really, really helpful to you and give you like a matrix or a tool bag of different ways in which you can access the wisdom of God for those big life decisions that we all have to make. I want you to be able to walk away from today knowing that you've got some, you've got some equipping behind you to help you to, to make those life decisions in a great way with God's wisdom behind you. Uh, That's my heart today, to just be really, really helpful, and I hope that you find this message uh, really helpful to you. Um, What I've done is I've kind of sort of distilled a lot of experience and decisions that I've made with Chloe, my wife, over the years. I've been a Christian for 19 years now, so there's going to be people in the room who will have been Christians a lot longer than that, and also some Christians who've been not so long a Christian, so I'm kind of in the middle there. But Chloe and I have made all sorts of life decisions over the years, some good, some bad, and uh, we've got some experience, and I want to share out of that experience. So my message today is based on some reflections, some practical experience, and also God's word underpinning that. Uh, And I hope that it really speaks to you uh, and really blesses you this morning. Um, When I was 16, I made a poor decision with my friend Gary, okay? Uh, 16-year-olds are not known for their wisdom particularly, are they? And uh, on this particular occasion, uh, my friend Gary and I decided that we would invent a device for climbing a tree. Uh, Now, this device consisted of a long piece of rope with a loop on one side, a loop on the other, just big enough to get your foot in. And we thought we'd throw it over the branch, and then with two loops either side, we would somehow manage to climb up in the air with this system. Now, we thought about it not that much, as you can tell. Anyone with a basic understanding of physics is going to work out this is not going to work. But we thought we'd give it a try. And the idea was you put your foot in one side, and then you pull back on this side, and your foot would go up in the air, and then you'd be able to quickly climb up like that, and then gradually you'd climb up higher and higher and higher. That was the idea, anyway. What actually happened in reality was, as you put your foot in the loop here, and you led back on this, basically you just tipped yourself upside down, by which time you've, left go, you've let go of the other side of the rope, and then you fall on your head. It was not a good decision. We laughed a lot about it, but our design was not informed by the best wisdom in the world. Um, so sometimes, you know, particularly when you're younger perhaps, you can make decisions that are just daft. And when you try them out, you go, yeah, that was not a great decision. Um, we have made all sorts of decisions between us uh, as church uh, and in our lives that have had good outcomes, and also not such good outcomes. And what I want to do today is I want to give you some pointers around how you can make great decisions for your life with God's help. So the first one, the first pointer, uh, the first kind of tool in the tool bag would be to ask this, destiny, where am I personally heading in the kingdom of God? Where am I going in the Lord? When you make a big life decision, you must factor this in. In fact, this needs to be right at the top of your list of considerations when you're thinking about making a big life decision. If you're leaving God out of that decision, the chances are it's not going to be a very good decision. God is not going to have that opportunity to steer you and to shape you and to help you make that correct decision uh, for your life. You've got to ask, 
where am I going with this decision in the Lord? Where am I personally headed in the kingdom of God? I don't know if you ever get the chance, uh, perhaps on days off in the week or when you do shifts or something like that, you might catch up with a program called Escape to the Country. Anyone here ever seen Escape to the Country on the TV in the day? And basically they get three properties, don't they? And then they show this couple of three different properties and they look round and one of them's like a kind of left field property or a bit random. The other two a bit more what they might expect and they have a conversation about it. And I, forgive me if you like this program, I personally find it a little boring. And I was trying to think about why is it that I find this program annoys me? It kind of gets under my skin. I find it just irritates me somehow. And I worked out the other day what it was. It's because I have never, ever seen anybody on this program talk about God or church or ministry as being a driving reason for why they're choosing the property they want to choose. It's all about, oh, I need an extra stables for my horses. Well, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's all about, I want to get away and have some peace and quiet. I want to be on the edge of the village so I can retreat and have some space, but then I also want to get into the community that this village might offer me. And I'm thinking, I'm sorry if you like the program, forgive me, but I find that really lame. I want to know what it is that God's got for me in a new place. Where's he taking me to? What am I doing for him? How can I be fruitful for him? What's his plan for my life? Those are the questions I want to answer. And then God will sort out all the rest. We've heard that phrase, haven't we? Put the kingdom of heaven first and God will deal with all the details. Now, if I was somebody making a decision about a house and it was nothing to do with God, I'd like something old, I'd like something that I need to do up a bit, I'd like something with a bit of character. But those are way down the list. But what I found is, as I've chosen God and followed him, he's given me those things anyway. All those things I might have pursued as a worldly person, God has just gone, yeah, you have that because I know you like that stuff. But we're on something much, much more important here. We're on a mission here to do something great in the kingdom, and I need your help doing it. Those are the important things of life. So what is it that you're doing that is fruitful for God? How are you going to be doing that for him? Are you moving towards your destiny in him? Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. We have a mission over us, each of us in our lives, and we've got to bear that in mind every time we make a major decision in our lives. So the next time you're facing a big life decision, ask yourself, where is this decision going to take me in God if I make it? You know, one of the things I love about our Portuguese-speaking ministry is that they say things like, sort out church first, worry about your job second. Church is important. Have you ever done that? Have you ever put church absolutely first and then worried about all the other things after? That's a really great thing to do, in my opinion. I love that. It's so important. What am I doing for God? Um, Chloe and I have operated this uh, doors principle in our journey uh, with Jesus. The door principle being, if the door's open, give it a push and go through it. If the door's shut, well, you're not going to get through it anyway because it's shut, so don't worry about it. So sometimes we will put a decision out to God and we get the feeling that it's time to walk through the door and give, it a, give the door a push and see if it's time to progress in that direction. And God will open the door and we'll go through it. Other times we've tried the door and it's stayed shut and we've not been able to go anywhere. Let me give you an illustration of what that was like. Um, one time we tried to sell our house and we put it on the market and I was going to move to the town of Derby for another job in IT. 
And uh, we decided to put, it, put our house on the market and we would put it on there for three months and we would go with any reasonable offers that came our way. So uh, we, ha- we waited and waited and waited and waited and really nothing happened except for one person came along and they made us an offer that was 20,000 less than, the, than what I thought was a reasonable price and they wanted us to relocate the bathroom. Like if you've ever like done any DIY on a, on a house, the kitchen and the bathroom are the big expense items. And we were like, no, we're not going to do that. And so this period of time kind of came and went, and we'd had three months of this. And with this one miserable offer kind of in the middle, we kind of thought, no, God, you're shutting the door on that decision. And you know what? That's not, a reasonable, that's not an unreasonable principle to follow for yourselves. If the door's shut, maybe God is saying to you, well, no, that's not a decision you should follow. If the door opens instantly, then... Have a go, walk through it. Does that make sense? Have you ever been in that situation yourself and you felt like the door was shut or the door open? Now, Chloe and I use that principle a fair bit as part, not solely, but as part of our decision-making. Um, what was quite interesting was that in that time of waiting for three months, I then read a book that convinced me that I shouldn't have been working in IT and I, I changed my mind and I decided to become a pastor instead. And so he shut one door, opened another door. Second thing, expertise. Who already knows a lot about this area of decision-making? If you think about it, we're sitting in a room today with a lot of people who have a lot of life skill, a lot of experience, a lot of understanding in different fields and different walks of life. The chances are that if you're looking to make a big life decision, that there's somebody in this room or perhaps several people who can give you fantastic advice to support you in that decision, or at least get you thinking, am I making the right decision? Have, you know, give you some real good counsel, real good help. Go to people in the church who have made this decision before, who have this area of expertise in their lives, who know about this stuff, go and ask them. Most people love it if you ask them for their advice about something they know lots about. Most of us do. We, we love to be helpful, and we love to give people the benefit of what we've, what we've learned and what we've understood through life. There was a guy uh, in the Old Testament, a guy called Bezalel, and uh, God anointed him to be a highly skilled craftsman for creating the tent of meeting and all the furnishings that went with it. He was extremely skilled. Uh, God put that anointing on him. Uh, It says in Exodus 36.1, Bezalel, Aholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. They were skillful guys. Now imagine for a minute that you are a craftsman in the time of Israel when Bezalel is making all the furnishings for the tent of meeting. And you're thinking about a job move. Who do you go and see? You go and see Bezalel. You go and say to him, so what do you do? What's your skill set? How do you do that? Uh, What people have you used? What materials have you used? You go and get advice from the person who knows the most in the room. That just makes total sense to me. Go and find out who knows something about that that can speak into that for you in a really wise way. Uh, Something happened to us uh, when we were deciding to go off to Bible college. After that decision to go to Bible college, we were faced with a big life decision. And the decision was this. Do we sell our house and sort of store the money in savings and perhaps use some of the money towards Bible college fees and getting that education? Or do we keep the house and rent the house out for a period of time? That's a genuine decision that many of us might face if we're deciding to move somewhere to do something new. 
So I didn't really know how to answer that, uh, that question. And so I, we went and found an elder in the church who used to be a bank manager. And he gave us some great advice. He said, well, hang on to the house. Rent it out to tenants because they can pay your mortgage for you while you're away. Yes, there's a risk they might move out, but you can always find more tenants. There might be a period of time where it's empty, but it won't be empty for the full three years. You're likely to have somebody in there most of the time. And then the asset of the house is still building up in value, and you've got something to come back to and something to sell at the end of Bible college if you're deciding to move on at that point. Absolutely fantastic piece of, uh, piece of advice. In fact, in the 10-year period that we had our house for, which was the house Chloe and I bought when we were first married, it climbed £110,000 in value. And three of those years were off at Bible College while we had tenants who were covering the mortgage. Now, you might think that's a really obvious decision to make, but it wasn't to me at the time, and it wasn't to a lot of my colleagues in Bible College who had sold their houses and then were really stuck at the end of Bible College with that finding it really hard to get back onto the property ladder. So I really appreciated that elder's wisdom, and that came from his wisdom in his skill and his field of work. So if you're facing a big life decision, my recommendation is go and find the expertise in the room. Go and speak to that person. Get their wisdom. Get their help. Get them to speak to you about what it is you need to find out. Proverbs uh, 15.22 says this, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Uh, something that Pastor Mark and the staff team, Pastor Paolo and myself and some of the staff go and do twice a year, is we visit uh, a conference in Peterborough where loads of churches get together, lots of ministries that are very competent at what they do, and we share ideas and we give each other encouragement, and we, we get kind of the best that we can. And, and actually, out of that, our 2020 vision came for BCC. We went away and we got lots of help with that, and that's helped really shape where we're going as a church. So we we do that ourselves as a team, and so if we do that as a team, then we should do that as individuals in those life decisions that we have to make. So that's number two. Get the expertise in the room and find out what they have to say. Number three, confirmation. Number three is confirmation, and this is the most important one. What does God have to say about it? What has God got to say about that big life decision that you're facing? Um, There was a guy in the Old Testament called Gideon, and Gideon was very kind of little and weak, and he felt like he was from the weakest clan in the tribe of Israel. And one day an angel of the Lord said to him, I want you to rise up and I want you to uh, defeat the Midianites that uh, have occupied Israel, and, and, and I want you to just rise up and drive them out. And he said... You're joking. I can't do that. Look at me. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, he, the Lord found, you know, this angel of the Lord found him kind of skulking in a wine press trying to, you know, sort something out and just hiding away. And he really felt that it wasn't for him, this job. And so what Gideon did was, because he was so unsure of it, he went to God and said, God, I kind of need some confirmation from you here. And the way he decided to do that was he decided to put his, there's his fleece. He put his fleece out on the ground And the idea was that if the ground was wet but the fleece was dry, then that was a confirmation. And God came through for him on that, and that was exactly what happened. Overnight, he went went out and found it exactly as he'd wanted God to uh, to, to show to him. And then he did it again, but he reversed it round. Um, It says this in uh, Judges um, 6.39. He says, Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Uh, Let me just make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, uh, make the fleece dry, 
and let the ground be covered with dew. I've got a funny feeling I've said that the first time, but it was opposites anyway. Yeah? He, he did the test round the other way the next time round. God came through for him again, and that way he absolutely knew that God was going to support him when it was time to rise up and drive out the Midianites. You and I need to develop a fleece system with God. We need a way in which we can develop a confirmation or a handshaking system that goes on that says to God, God, I'm thinking of doing this. Would you confirm it back to me in an unmistakable way? And actually, would you confirm it back to me multiple ways so that I'm completely clear in my mind what you're asking me to do and that that's you're in it? That's very important. In fact, I see three things uh, in the Gideon episode. Ask for confirmation. So you do that in prayer. Expect a personal answer back, something that's personal to you that will really speak to you. And expect multiple confirmations or ask for multiple confirmations. Don't just ask for one. Ask for five if you like. God is quite happy to give you as many confirmations as you need in order to make that big life decision. And if there was, that was the only thing you did and got a decent confirmation from God, that would be good enough. Amen? Are you with me still? Yeah. Number four, imagination. What is my day-to-day life going to look and feel like after I've made this decision? You need to use the imagination that God has given you to think ahead and say to yourself, okay, with this big life decision, it's going to involve me. I'm now going to start commuting. I'm going to do this sales job. This is what my life's going to look like, and I'm going to imagine what that's like day-to-day. You need to do that. You need to use the imaginations God given, imagination God has given you and think through, how is this actually going to look? Uh, many years ago, I went for uh, a job. I was working in an IT company, and I decided it would be really good to become a programmer, so somebody who could write code and language. A lot of my friends were going for that. It was quite well paid. There were good opportunities. And I sat the aptitude test, which was basically kind of maths. It was like getting the sequence of some maths operators in the right order. Like, so for example, if you times two numbers together and then you take a number off at the end, if you, if you do that in the wrong order, you get the wrong answer, yeah? So computer programming is like, you've got to get it in the right order, make the program do everything the right, etc. You get the idea. Now, I took this test and I got 28 out of 30. Okay? Now, that is quite a big deal for me. I'm not the best at maths. You know, myself and Adam, we were working on this flags project for the mug, and I got that wrong. You know, so Adam kind of came back to me and said, Daddy, you, you've got the number of flags wrong. You need to do it again. And it was the most basic maths in the world. Not great. So, so trust me, I was delighted with 28 out of 30, and I was like, wow, maybe I should become a programmer. And then this, this kicked in. Imagination. And I thought of myself sitting on some sort of dusty desk in a, in a basement with a mainframe whirring and no people and like loads of maths problems to solve. And something inside me just died. And I thought, I can't do this job. I, I can't imagine myself doing this job. Now, I'm really sorry if you're a programmer. And actually, we really need you guys out there who, who do good programs. Because when bad cro- programs don't work, when programs don't work, things fall over. And it has big impact, doesn't it? So actually, elegant programming is a great thing. But it's not for me. Yeah? I can't do that. I couldn't imagine myself as a programmer. And so I thought, no, I, I just can't do that. If you use your imagination, you will be able to understand a little bit what that decision could, how it could have an impact on you further down the line. Now, that's very important. Use your imagination. Think ahead. Think what it's going to look like. Some people do that really well. Some people don't. 
Uh, I remember one person uh, being very surprised that they ended up with a commute in the job that they went for. And you're kind of thinking, did you not think that, that you were going to be driving all that? Because that, you know, is an hour away and they didn't want to move and so on. So you have to imagine, what is your day-to-day life going to be like after you've made this decision? I noticed that uh, Jesus does something very cool with Peter uh, in Luke 5. When he first meets Peter, you know, that episode where they're out fishing and then they catch a load more than they thought and the nets are about to break. And G- uh, Peter says, get away from me, Jesus, I'm a sinful man. All that. Remember that story? Jesus puts something in Peter's imagination that fires him up. He says, you're not, he says, uh, you're, not gonna, you're, you're no longer going to uh, try and catch fish. You're now going to fish for men. Instead of nets and fish, it's going to be people and the kingdom of heaven. And something sparks in Peter's imagination and it like fires him up. And in fact, he makes a great life decision right there and then on the spot. The decision is, I'm going to follow this man with my life. And there'll be a lot of people in this room who will understand that decision, who have made that same decision, myself included. Following Jesus with my life was the best decision I ever made. No question. And Peter does it, and the way Jesus does it is he appeals to Peter's imagination about what it's going to be like in the future, a much bigger scope uh, of responsibility. Number five is data. What information do I still need to help me decide? Sometimes we're trying to make a big life decision, but we don't have all the jigsaw pieces to hand. There's bits missing and we can't quite see the whole picture. And actually it makes real sense to go and get as much information as you still need to then make the decision properly. Noah demonstrates this principle very well when he's in the ark. The world is covered in water, the ark is afloat, He's got loads and loads of animals on there and his family. They've been afloat for a very, very long time. And Noah needs to know, when is this going to come to an end? You know, we need to know when dry land is going to appear. And so Noah does this great thing where he sends out a dove and he works out that if the dove comes back, then that means the dove's got nowhere to settle, which means the, the, the world is still covered in water. So he sends the dove out a few times, and then uh, one particular time the dove comes back, and the, dove's, uh, the dove comes back to him with an olive branch uh, in its, well, an olive leaf in its beak. It says this in Genesis 8:11. When the dove returned to him, that's Noah, in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. And then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. In our quest to try and get godly wisdom into the decisions that we're making, we need great information. And sometimes we don't have all the information to hand. And so sometimes it's great questions lead to great information or great data that then give us a great answer to our problem that we're facing. Yeah? So if you can ask great questions and establish really good information, then you can make really good decisions. Yeah? Does that make sense? So here's a little set of questions for all of those of you who are still thinking, who is it that I'm going to get married to? There's a few of us that are single in the room still, and we're wondering, when are we going to meet Mrs. Wright, Mr. Wright, all that? It goes on, doesn't it? Here's five questions that Chloe and I have kind of developed over the years to help you find that information to make that great decision about that person, okay? Five questions for you. Uh, Don't worry about writing these all down. These are going to appear online on our social media later. You'll see all of this later on this afternoon. But the first question is, does this person bring me closer to God? That's a great question to ask of a potential life partner. If they're dragging you away from God, you need to run. That's not a good person to be with, okay? 
Amen? Yeah? So does this person bring me closer to God? Number two, let me just check my list, get them in the right order. Yes, can I talk with this person about anything and nothing until three o'clock in the morning? Because when you're 90, conversation's where it's at, okay? In fact, conversation is the engine room of marriage. You need to be able to have great conversation with this person and vice versa, and that's exceptionally important. Connection is through conversation. So can you talk with this person about everything and nothing until three o'clock in the morning? Number three, do I fancy this person? Very important. You know, as Christians, we sideline that side of things and we say it's not spiritual enough. Nonsense. You need to have a spark of attraction that mm, towards that person. You need to be able to look across the room and go, I fancy you, and they need to feel that way about you too. And that's no bad thing because you're going to spend an awful lot of time looking at their face in your marriage. Okay? That's not a bad shout, is it? Do I fancy them? Number four, could I envisage them as the parent of my children? It might be going swimmingly up to this point, and then suddenly you think, oh my goodness, no way, I wouldn't let them anywhere near children, or my children anyway. So there's a problem there, isn't there? Could this person be the parent of my children? Question number five, remember great questions, great information, great outcome in a life decision. Question number five is, does this person respect it when I say no? In other words, do they respect my boundaries? If I say, no, I'm busy tonight, we can't go out. Are they all huffy about that? Or are they good about it and they respect your boundaries? And if the answer to all five of those questions with this prospective person that you're thinking about is a resounding yes, you've got a great start and that's got great potential. Questions lead to good information, lead to good life decisions. Number six, evaluation. Have I weighed up the pros and cons of this decision? You know, some decisions can seem really, really hard to make. God seems to be absent. We've prayed a lot. There seems to be huge amounts of missing information. We can't even find that information anywhere. There seems to be loads and loads of variables in the equation, like what-ifs and things that we don't know the outcomes to. And also, sometimes, some decisions carry very complicated ethical considerations that are very difficult to know the answer to. I don't know if you've seen the film Imitation Game. Uh, It's a film about the cracking of the Enigma code. It stars um, uh, Cumberbatch. What's his first name? Benedict. Thank you so much. Benedict Cumberbatch. And he plays the role of Alan Turing, who was the guy who cracked the Enigma code in the Second World War. And there's a scene in that film where it suddenly dawns on them that the information they now have available to them leads to some very, very difficult ethical questions, such as... If we reorient our fleet now so that it doesn't get captured by the Germans or attacked by the Germans, then that reveals to the Germans that we know their code. So we're now not going to tell them that, and they're going to go sailing straight into that trap. Now, I would put it to you that a decision that complicated with that much ethical weight on it, that needs to be given to the Lord completely. In a sense, there's no pros and cons about that. That's just really, really hard to know what to do. But I would say that actually, for, 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 the, for most of us and most of our decision-making, we can often find lots of help in, in, a, in a pros and cons tool. So what you do is you get a big piece of paper, like maybe a piece of A3 or something, draw a line down the middle, and you put the pros on one side and the cons on the other. But the positive things on this side, the negative things on the other, about the decision that you're facing. 
And then you, you list them all out. You try and understand what's going to win for me and what's going to lose for me out of this big decision. And sometimes that in itself can really help you because it lays it all out. You know when you've got loads of things going around your head and you put it on a piece of paper? Suddenly it seems a bit clearer, doesn't it? Now, if that still doesn't work, why don't you put a score on each of those things? Maybe up to a minus five on something really negative, up to a positive five on something really positive. And then you can actually add up the scores from all the pros and cons and get to the end. And you might get an answer like, okay, for this decision, it's 25% positive, or 25 points to the positive, 17 points to the negative. And on balance, if this was a seesaw on a playground, that would come down on making that decision in favor of going for it. Does that make sense? Yeah? Yeah? So sometimes a pros and cons list is really helpful. I I read this thing the other day about chess grandmasters. Now, apparently, there are some chess grandmasters, you know, when they play chess to a really really high level, really intelligent, they can work out all the moves, like 20 moves ahead. That's insane, isn't it? If you think about it, that's just really amazing. I mean, I'm struggling to think two moves ahead. I mean, when I play chess, I get surprised and I lose a lot. So people are thinking more ahead than I am, obviously. But apparently, that's what it it takes. You have to have that kind of mind that can compute all the variables. And so sometimes when we're doing a pros and cons list, it's a good idea to think ahead as far as you can in all the outworkings of your decision. Now, it may comfort you to know that there was a great grand chess master called Kasparov, and he won lots of his games, and he put it down to intuition. He didn't have like a map in his mind of what all the moves were. He just had a gut sense And sometimes that's maybe what we need as well with very complicated things. Uh, Luke 14, 28 says this, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? And that would be a pros and cons list, wouldn't it? Have I got enough money? Have I got enough time? Yeah, Yeah, I think I have. I'll go ahead and make that decision. Last one is review. After the event, am I staying bravely open to the possibility that I might just have made the wrong decision? It's possible, isn't it? And as part of this toolkit this morning, I want you to feel released from this idea that we we put all of this stuff into a decision, we get to the decision, and then that's it forever. Now, some decisions, it, it can feel like that, and I think marriage is one of them. You know, I think you've got to You've got to go for it with marriage. I don't think it's a decision that we just reverse lightly. But there are some other decisions where we can feel like we get past the decision and then suddenly hindsight shows us all this stuff that we never saw before. Do you want an insight into God's mind for a moment? You know hindsight is so clear for us when we look back? Well, that's how God can see the future. So why wouldn't we ask him about what's coming and for his help in those decisions that we're making? There's a, a speaker in America called Joyce Meyer. Uh, she's a, a great speaker, has produced lots and lots of material. And she says this about wisdom. She says, wisdom is being happy with the decision that you took 20 years ago. That's a great test for whether the decision was a good life decision. Would I go back 20 years and change that decision? Or would I just leave it exactly as it was? Now, like choice of A-levels, you know, that could be ranked as quite a big decision for some people. For me... I would still go back and still do the same A-levels because I really loved those subjects and I enjoyed them. And I would do them again now if I had to. I did art and RE and geography and English and I loved them. And I would do them all again. And I'm I'm sure that there are some people in the room that would really want to change their A-levels or do something different about how they did their education. 
But wisdom is being happy with something that you decided, almost indefinitely really. There was a parable that Jesus tells, a really short parable that illustrates that you can change your mind. Uh, it's the parable of the man who had two sons. Uh, in Matthew 21, 28 and 29, it says this. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. And this son said, I will not, is what he said. And, but later, he's changed his mind and went. We've all got free will. As part of the journey of seeking God's wisdom in those big life decisions, it's okay to change your mind after you've made the decision. I'm just going to ask the worship team if you'd come back up. Thank you, Luca. You know, one time I made a decision that I, looking back on it, I should have changed it the day after. I bought a car on finance. It was in about 1994, 1995, something like that. And it was, it was a Vauxhall Corsa, and they had this program at the dealership called Choices 123. And it felt like good choices, but it wasn't really. It was quite a high rate of interest. You had to pay a lump sum at the end of the car, you know, and you had to restrict the mileage, all sorts of things. And actually, I'd signed on the dotted line, I'd got the car, and then I felt really bad about it in my spirit. And I now know, knowing what I know now, that I shouldn't have made that decision. And whenever I get that feeling today, I'm very alert to it, and I'm like, I'm changing that. I've slept on it, and that was a wrong call, and I'm going to change it now. Sometimes, some of us need the courage to go, no, I've made the wrong decision. This is, this is not right. I need to back out of this. But I didn't do that, and I was lumbered with this car for three years, and at the end of the three years, I'd done more mileage than I should have done, and it had negative equity, and it was just a mess. And I really wish I hadn't made that decision, that life decision. It was a wrong life decision. But I knew it within 48 hours I'd made the wrong call. So sometimes the brave thing and the, and the right thing to do is to say, you know what, God, I have made a mistake. Now that I've made the decision, the benefit of hindsight is showing me all these things that I didn't think were there. And I just need to back out of the decision. That's okay. In fact, that's wisdom. Sometimes you need to do that. Shall we all stand? I'm going to put a transcript of my message online this afternoon. So if you heard some points today that you want to kind of go over again in your mind, they'll be on our social media. They'll be linked a bit later for you. Um, you can also listen to the message later, uh, listen again. And then there's our social media on Facebook and uh, Instagram and Twitter. We'll put that out a little bit later this afternoon for you. But I want to close with a kind of final summing up of all the things. There's two things I want to say. You've heard lots of points about wisdom, but I think the real power of today's message and the real helpfulness of it comes when you think of all of them together in a box or a matrix, like a toolbox. And it says the word decider down the left-hand side. I want you to use this as the decider for some of your big life decisions. Use it, apply it, take it away. I hope it helps you. My heart is to be helpful to you out of the experiences that I've gone through. Some good, some not so good. So the questions you need to ask yourself are this. Does the big decision I'm making fit with the destiny that God has for me in my life? Have I gone and found the expert in the room who knows more about this than anyone else? Have I asked them for their input, for their counsel? Have I sought God? This is the most important one. What does God say about it? Have I put my fleece out? Has he given me the confirmation? Have I had several confirmations? Have I used my imagination to think, what is this going to be like? 
when I've made this decision and I'm actually doing it, living it day to day? How does that change it? Have I got all the data that I need? Is there some jigsaw pieces missing to this decision? So go and find those jigsaw pieces. That's important. You sometimes can't make great decisions without, uh, without the information there. And you need that information to help you. Have I weighed up the pros and cons? Have I gone through a list? Have I been brave and said, okay, all the positives, all the negatives, written it down on a piece of paper. There it is in front of me. And sometimes that very act itself gives you the sense of, no, I know what to do now. And then the last one is giving yourself the space and the courage to say, yeah, with the benefit of hindsight, I now know what I should have done and I'm going to change it. Sometimes we just have to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to sing now and Luca's going to lead us in worship. And then I want for you very much to think, is there a big life decision I'm facing? And if there is, we would love to pray for you. Uh, and just during this song, just make your way down to the front and we, our ministry team will come out and we will pray with you about anything that you're facing, big or small. We would love to do that for you. Thank you, Luca. Thanks. Thanks.